Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. looking to meet new people, this is your morning. Go to somebody you don't know and say, hey, I just want to talk to you about how I rehearsed, received, and rested in the gospel. And and it might feel a little weird to do that at first. Like, how am I just going to walk up to somebody and tell them about what's going on in my heart, um, what's going on in my life? Maybe I have to tell them about some sin that I've struggled with. That's okay. And the reason I want you to do that is because that's what it means to be the church. The church is not simply just something we come to on Sunday morning. The church is not just simply a group we go to on Tuesday or Wednesday night. It's not just an organization, but the church is a people. When it really comes down to it, we are the church. The church is the people of God. And I believe just like God wants to bring renewal in us personally, God wants to bring renewal in us as a church. He wants to bring renewal to us as a body because the renewal that God is wanting to bring about in us is not just a solo venture. Tim Keller says of corporate renewal, that corporate gospel renewal, what has sometimes been called revival, is a season in which a whole body of believers experience personal gospel renewal together. I grew up in the South where, um, where revivals were usually a week-long event. You can't plan revival, by the way. A week-long re- event with a bunch of preaching and singing. It was kind of this idea, we're going to kind of whip people into a frenzy. But the type of renewal that God, the type of revival that God wants to bring is a daily experience where each of us is looking to Jesus together. And I believe that as each of us does this together, God does this in us corporately. In fact, I believe that the only way we can truly see God renew us daily as an individual is if God is working in us as a church. And that is why it is vital for your relationship with Jesus to be connected to a life-giving local church. Uh, There's an old story of a pastor who um, he went to a family's house. They hadn't been uh, to the church gathering in a a while. They'd been disconnected. And uh, he walks in. They had an old uh, coal-burning stove or old coal-burning fireplace. And he walks in and he's talking to them about, hey, like, why? You know, I haven't seen you guys in a while. What's going on? And they start explaining and giving all the reasons why they haven't gathered together with the church. And they said, you know, they said, well, it's it's, we've been tired. It's, you know, it's been, uh, man, it's just been a long season. You know, we, we, we've been traveling, we've been doing this, we've been doing them all these reasons. And, and sometimes they're, they're legitimate reasons, but once they all kind of stack up, you see, you see a lot of that. And, and so he, he's just listening to them and he's just being quiet. And finally the pastor walks over, he grabs a, a pair of tongs and he pulls one single coal out of the fire and sets it to the, to the edge of the fireplace. And he just like, oh, this is like old school. Pastors used to do this kind of stuff. They, he just stared at the coal. And he just, he just stared at the coal until finally he got the attention of the family and they start washing the coal until finally the coal burns out because coals don't burn by themselves. They burn hottest when they're together with other coals. In the same way, you can ride a spiritual experience. You can come and you can hear a good sermon. You can have a good moment. You can have some good personal time in prayer and in Bible reading at home, but that will only take you so far because you are meant for life with other people looking to Jesus together. Because sometimes I need to be reminded of the gospel. Sometimes you need to be encouraged when, man, it's just been a really long week. You need somebody to pick you up when you're low. And I believe we are just better together, that God intended for us to do this together as a people. 
And when we're all pulling in the same direction, something beautiful can happen. Imagine a group of musicians sitting in a room together and everybody just decides to play when they want, they would decide to play what they want and how they want. What is that gonna sound like? It's gonna sound terrible, right? I got a professional musician right here shaking her head going, yes, like this sounds awful. And so in fact, if you're hearing this, you might get discouraged. You might quit. You might say, nobody's actually doing this. Nobody's on the same page. But what would happen if all of a sudden all those musicians started to work together and play the same style of music at the same meter? Something beautiful happens. And what starts to happen is one person starts to encourage another and everybody starts to have fun and they start to have joy. In fact, if you've never watched the Maverick City worship music videos, I, I encourage you to go watch one of them because you just see people playing off of each other. And this person wants to sing louder because of the way this person plays and everybody's joy increases. In the same way, I believe our joy increases when we work together to long after Jesus. And so two of my favorite passages in the Bible are 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, and Acts 2, 42 through 47, which we're gonna cover today. And the reason why is that I love the church. And I believe God's mission for this world is the church. And I believe that God's method of helping us grow and helping us flourish as much as possible is the local church. Now, maybe your experiences with church haven't been that healthy. Maybe you grew up in a church and it was just, it was a struggle. People weren't as loving or as kind, or you had just had some, some harsh things said to you. Maybe it wasn't life-giving. Maybe you've been really burned by that. Again, we're an imperfect people looking to Jesus together, and I believe God is trying to make us new. So let's look at these promises today from Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, and see how God uses the local church to make us new. So if everybody would just uh, open your Bibles with me um, if you have them with you. You can also look on the screen. When I'm done, I'm gonna say, this is the word of the Lord. I'd ask you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we submit ourselves to your word. This is your word. And so God, shape us and change us as we come to it. Shape my own heart as I preach it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We're looking at a couple of things this morning on the idea of how God brings church renewal. The first we see from the text are the elements of church renewal. The elements of church renewal. For us to understand how God is going to make us new, the, the how of how he does this, we need to see how the early church started. We need to see the things that really embodied what the early church was like and really kind of get back to the basics of what it means to be the church. And so when it comes to being the church, it's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to, to look at all these different ideas and models and, and things we could possibly do. And sometimes we miss the very simple idea of what it means to be the church. Because when it comes to being the church, when it comes to starting a new church, uh, establishing a church, there is no magic bullet 
There's no magic program. There's no magic method. And I'm not anti-method, anti-methodology. I think we need to be creative in the way that we uh, preach the gospel. I think we need to be creative in the way that we reach our neighbors. But ultimately, I believe it is faithful, effective simplicity that really makes the church thrive. Eric Mason says, we don't need a revival of missionary techniques in evangelism. We need a revival of fervent prayer in our evangelism. Now, I think that applies to more than just prayer and evangelism. I think it is a general simplicity of, of being the church that we need God to breathe life into. The very simple things that the early church devoted themselves to, we're called to devote ourselves to. But so many times we can be defensive of our methods and we can be defensive of our models and the things that we do. And so uh, if you've read the book Anthem by Ayn Rand, this is this, this collectivistic society. Um, there are no more personalities. Everyone is part of a we, you're a number in, in a group. And there's a group of candle makers and someone comes along who's discovering his individualism and, and he, does, he reinvents the light bulb and the candle makers get upset because they're now gonna be out of work. And the problem is, is that they missed the point and forgot their purpose was not to make candles, but their purpose was to make light. In the same way, we get so focused today on methods and models and Bible studies and authors and preachers that we often forget that the purpose of it is to lift up Jesus. And in fact, we have way more resources and way more tools and way more methods than the early church ever did. In fact, we have a complete Bible. They were working with the Old Testament and some letters written by the apostles. In fact, if you have your own Bible in your hand, if you own a Bible, and I own several in my house, you are more privileged than Christians for the majority of the Christian existence. It, was, it wasn't until the last several hundred years that you were able to even own a physical copy of a Bible. If you have a phone in your hand, you have more resources than any theologian, commentator, or pastor has had outside of the last 50 years. It's amazing all the things that we have and often we miss the point is to look to Jesus. See, the early church thrived with a lack of methods, with a lack of resources. And I believe that they thrived because they gave themselves to a couple of things. In fact, verse 30, 42 is a summary of what church life looked like in the early church, the, the seedbed for the renewal that God was doing in them. And it says that they devoted themselves to a few things. The word devoted literally means they gave themselves to something. They gave their lives and submitted their lives over to something. And this was important for the type of church that God wanted to create. You have these new believers from all over the world, multiple personalities and ethnicities and backgrounds and experiences, and they're all giving themselves to this new way of life. They're all living under a new culture, not just one specific culture, but a new culture looking to Jesus as king. And this shaped the kind of community that they were a part of. And it shaped it because they devoted themselves and they were committed to this as individuals. They said, I identify with these things. I, I desire these things. I'm going to be a, a part of these things, believing that they're going to do me good. But also they were saying, we're going to do this together. This is what we are about as a people. This is why as a church, we have a church covenant for our members. Because we're saying, this is how we believe we're called to live. And if we live this way, we believe everybody flourishes. So what are the four things that they devoted themselves to? The first thing we see is the apostles' teaching. We just finished a series a couple weeks ago over the last several months on the Apostles' Creed. And so if you were able to listen to that or if you hadn't listened to that, they're, you, they're all online. You can go back and listen to them. But really, the Apostles' Creed laid out the very bare basics of what Christians believe. This is the core. 
And this is what the early church taught. And the question though is, why did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Why doesn't it say, doesn't it say that they devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching? Well, the rest of the New Testament and Jesus' teachings are not at odds with one another. Sometimes people have tried to posit them against each other and say, well, you know, Jesus never said anything about this, so why are we listening to Paul? Well, Jesus and Paul are not enemies. Jesus and Peter are not wrestling with each other. The apostles were entrusted with Jesus' teaching. They were given Jesus' teaching. These people who walked with Jesus daily, who apprenticed with Jesus, who, who listened to Jesus, and they were entrusted with this message and began to flesh what Jesus said out. And so what they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching of both the Old Testament and the letters that they began to write, but they fleshed out the, the, the Old Testament teachings in the same way that Jesus did. If you look at Luke chapter 24, Jesus is on the Emmaus road. He reveals himself to two men and then spends all this time walking through the Old Testament with them, showing how all of it points to Jesus. See, it may be the apostles' teaching, but it all points to Jesus. And we see this example of how, how the, Peter did this through the beginning of Acts 2 in verses 17 through 21, uh, verses 25 through 28, verses 34 and 35, all these ways that, that they took the Old Testament that this is really about who Jesus is. And they, this early church gave themselves to it. They trusted it. They said, these words are life-giving. These words are, are true. These words are beautiful. These are, this is something I'm willing to give myself to. And so for us, we submit ourselves to the Bible. There, there are no mo more modern day apostles. So we believe the canon of scripture is closed, meaning what we have here is what God intended for us to receive. And that's why we say after we read the scriptures, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, because what we're doing in that moment is just like the early church, we're submitting ourselves and devoting ourselves and giving ourselves to the word. And we're saying, Lord, have your way with me. And what it does is it creates an anchor point. It creates something that we can cling to and something that, that tethers us. It creates something that guides us and guards us as we seek the Lord. You know, you think about the guardrails on a road. They're not meant to restrict you. They're meant to protect you and keep your car where it's supposed to be. See, the, the, what happens when we give ourselves to the Bible is it, it keeps us from our own opinions determining what truth is. It, it keeps us from being a product of our culture. It causes us to be timeless and it unites us together. And in fact, if you look at across history, there have been people who have taken scripture and have tried to use the current culture in order to justify what, uh, take the scripture to justify their current culture. See, if you will either submit yourself to the Bible or you will submit the Bible to yourself. There is no in between. We will either submit ourselves to the Bible or submit the Bible to ourselves. Probably the most extreme example of this would be the slave Bible. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I, was, I actually saw a picture of what was included in the slave Bible. And so the slave Bible, if you're not familiar with it, was something that slavers in the United States used to justify chattel slavery um, as, as something that they would consider God-honoring and biblical. And to give you an idea of just the length that they had to go to to make this sound justifiable, they only, the slave Bible included four parts of, of 14 books of the 66 books of the Bible. They had to remove mo like three quarters of the Bible and removed all sorts of things about freedom and things about grace. And all that they left inside of that Bible were things about that emphasized obedience. That is evil. That's an extreme example. 
And we can do this in less egregious ways. We can just ignore the stuff we don't like. We can explain things away. We, we don't like to, to talk about the uncomfortable stuff that we would read, but that's typically why we go through a book of the Bible from cover to cover, because we don't get an out. We've got to deal with the tough stuff. And the New Testament church, they devoted themselves to this. In fact, think about the way that the Greeks and the Jews related to one another. As, as, the, as the apostles were teaching that there is no longer Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor, nor male nor female, but we are all sons and daughters in Christ, the Jews had to wrestle with that because they've been God's people for generations. It causes us to wrestle with these things. We have to let the Bible challenge us and affront our cultural norms and dig down deep. Secondly, we devote, they devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, which means common. And so really, they were committed to each other with a common hope, a common cause, a common purpose. They weren't just present in body. They were present in mind and soul as well. Everybody remembers what it was like being in school where you were present in body, but you were not present in mind. You were just physically there, so you didn't get counted absent. We kind of have brought that into our modern relationships where we're talking to somebody for about 45 seconds and we just feel this tremor in our hand that's reaching for our cell phone. And now, no matter how hard we try, we keep reaching for our cell phone. And all of a sudden, we just feel our thumbs starting to scroll, scroll even though there's not a scroll, 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 even though there's not a, th a phone in our hands. We have a hard time being present with each other. The fellowship meant that they were present with each other. They were with and for each other, and they believed that the way that they would grow and change the most was through steady, deep, committed relationships. And that is tough for us in a culture that is constantly moving on, moving up, and moving out. We wonder why we have such a hard time building lifelong friendships. It's because we're, never, we're not near each other long enough to see it happen. The type of biblical community that we're talking about takes time. It takes commitment, it takes consistency, it takes vulnerability. And they were giving themselves to this. And one way we saw this, the third thing they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. This is how Jewish people started a meal. They would literally take a piece of a big loaf of bread and they would break it in half. If you've ever watched the, uh, the, the miniseries, The Chosen, which is free, I highly suggest watching it. It gets, kind of is a dramatization of the disciples very well done. Um, they actually do a really beautiful picture of this at Passover. And Mary Magdalene, who's now come out of a life of, of sin and rebellion, she's the one leading the Seder meal. And there's this group of people sitting around her. And what that symbolizes is that those group, that group of people, they're now family. They're a family together. These people from different backgrounds because breaking bread equals breaking barriers. And that's what happened when this, this group of people from 17 different people groups and nations and ethnicities and languages all start sharing meals together in one another's homes. See, the church is a family from every culture together with a common hope in Christ. They committed themselves to that. The, third, the fourth thing they committed themselves to, devoted themselves to, were the prayers. And the word the, the definite article, uh, means that there was probably some sort of formal prayer happening, probably going into the temple and, and praying together. But there was also probably praying together in each other's homes. And, and either way you want to slice that, the early church was formed by prayer. They devoted themselves to praying to the Lord, desperate, dependent prayer upon the Lord. And they saw this from Jesus who God himself would draw away to be with the Father and say, Lord, I need you. 
We see this in the upper room, 120 gathered together praying and asking God, please help us. Acts 4, the church is starting to be rocked by some possible persecution, and they pray, and God unites their hearts together. And we actually see over a dozen times in the book of Acts where the church gathers together and prays and asks God to work on their behalf. They saw that what they were attempting to do was absolutely impossible. And what we are asking God to do in Jamaica Plain, in Boston, to plant a new church is impossible. To build and sustain a new church is really hard. For us to stay united with this diverse group of personalities and backgrounds and accents and likes and desires is really going to be hard. Asking God to protect us and empower us for the mission. If this is going to happen, we have to be a people of prayer. I've used this example before, but I think it's good, so I'm going to use it again. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, was a, was, a, uh, was a preacher and a pastor in England in the late uh, 1800s, and his church was this enormous, beautiful, gospel-preaching church, very influential, and somebody came to, to, to his church and said, hey, we really want to see um, like what makes your church sick, what makes your church so successful at reaching people with the gospel, and he said, let me go show you the boiler room. The, bo the boiler room. What are you talking about? I want to show you my, our furnace. So they go downstairs into the basement of the church, and before the service, there are 700 people praying for the church service that morning, praying for what God might do in the hearts of his people. I, I believe God wants to do this in us and wants to bring renewal, but it's only going to happen if we are devoting ourselves to these things. And so I want us to look at the effects of this type of renewal, the effects of what God did in the early church, the effects of church renewal. Verses 43 through 47 kind of detail what verse 42 is talking about. So they devoted themselves to these things, and here are the results of their devotion. Uh, we see that as they devoted themselves to the word, they were transformed by the word. As they devoted themselves to the word, they were transformed by the word. Verse 43 says that awe came upon every soul. Now, it's important for us to understand what brought awe, what caused awe to happen. It was the works being done through them. It wasn't because the apostles were awesome. It was because of what God was doing through the apostles. It says that there were signs and wonders that were occurring, and these were miracles that God was doing through them to show that these were the people that God had entrusted with the gospel, to give credibility to their teaching. But notice that here it says, it doesn't say that the people praised the apostles. It says in verse 47, they were praising God. The result of devoting themselves to the word was a transformation by the word that led them to awe at God. The effect of God's work in us is that we praise God, not other people. I really hope today you don't leave going, man, what a wonderful sermon. Because if, that, if that's all I leave you with, I have failed. I really hope you leave here going, what a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God we have. This awe and this sense that God was doing something in their midst. And they devoted themselves to them. They devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word, believing this word can change me. This word, can, it can be trusted. This is a word that frees me. But just, just like anything, you only, that only happens if you use it. 
if you devote yourself to it. You're only going to see the effects of it if you're devoting yourself to it. It's kind of like if you have ever done any sort of like beach body workout program and you've got those P90X DVDs sitting somewhere in a closet gathering dust. Some of you are like, I feel guilty right now. You're not seeing the effects of it because you're not using it. In the same way, if we don't use God's word and come to it and devote ourselves to it, we're not going to be transformed by it. See, they were both witnesses to and participants in the gospel. They were witnesses to it as they were awing at it. They were saying, look what the Lord has done for me. Part of rehearsing the gospel is saying, what has God done for me? What has God done for you? And we participate in this, and I believe this is why community matters, because we get to see how the gospel works in other people. Man, if we have consistent, committed, vulnerable relationships with other people, over time, we're going to be able to gauge and look and see how God is at work. And actually sometimes be a part of it, because what if someone needed your encouragement this morning? What if somebody really needed to hear what you read and what challenged you this week and how God met you in your time and his word? Maybe that's what they needed to hear. We are participants in helping others awe at God. How's the word bringing you to a place of awe toward the Lord? I want City on a Hill to be a church that has a sense of the wonder and awe of God and expectancy that God's gonna move among us. The second uh, um, effect of this is sacrificial daily community. And this is really important. They gave themselves to community. They just said, I'm going to devote myself to the ideal of fellowship and community. And the effect was deep and sacrificial community. Notice it's not the other way around. It's not saying, well, once I see daily and sacrificial community, then I'm going to commit to it. You don't get that unless you commit to it. They wanted to be together. God's work in them, but personally and collectively drove them together. They committed to it and they saw God work. And because of this, they were for each other. They had all things in common. This was not uniformity. It wasn't saying that everybody talked the same and looked the same and acted the same, but they were unified in a common purpose. They shared things together. They had a responsibility for each other and so much of a responsibility. They were so committed to each other they just started selling their stuff. They started selling their possessions and saying, if somebody has a need, I'm going to meet it. If somebody has a need, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help meet that need. And the cool thing about this is it was completely voluntary. This is not calling us to some sort of like socialistic society. It, this was a completely free giving of themselves. And I think that actually makes it beautiful. Luke 12, this is, this is how Jesus called them to live. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the type of community that John Stott said the, that the poor knew no shame and the rich knew no arrogance. See, gospel renewal leads to sacrificial community. And for us, I think that means being a people who are willing to sacrifice our time and our resources and our preferences. Just this week within this church, I've seen people help other people move. Um, I've seen people provide meals. Uh, I've, people have watched people's kids. People have gone and sat at hospitals. That, that, that's a beautiful picture of the sacrificial love of God 
A beautiful picture of the sacrificial community that God is looking to build in a culture that we're trying to build that doesn't ask, how am I going to get served, but how do I get to serve others? And here's what happens when everybody commits to that type of community. Everybody gets served. Because if I'm only looking out for myself, which is what our culture tells me, how many people are looking out for me? One. But if all of us commit to look out for each other now, how much better are we cared for? And what that creates is it creates safety. The early church, there are over 3,000 people, 17 different people groups. They're all far from home. And what they are wondering is, am I safe here? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it? And for us, we live in a lonely city and we need other people. And this type of safety where you know you have a bunch of people who have your back, it creates an environment where we're able to be vulnerable and confess when we're weak because we know somebody will lift us up and help us be strong. We know we can confess when we're struggling. We can even confess our sins because we know we're going to be met with grace. But also part of this is that they were with each other. They had lots of time together. Day by day, we see this, that phrase two times, day by day. There was a daily rhythm of life that they shared together. It was regular. It was consistent. And they would gather together in the temple, the place where God and man would meet. They would meet together there. This is clearly a Christian community that spent time with God together. Community for us as a church is not just simply hanging out. I want us, we do need to hang out. We need to do, to do that. But we also hang out around God's word. And I think when it comes to a community group Bible study, or a, it's really easy for us to bail on that because we forget that what God wants to do in us and teach us is, is often happening in community. There's lots of reasons we can think of to, to bail out on that, but honestly, none of them are biblical. We often let that drop instead of spending that intentional time in God's word together. But they also did just spend time together. They broke bread together. They ate together. And they did so with glad and generous hearts. There was lots of laughter. There was lots of life. There was lots of raw honesty. There were probably people going, you know what? There's, I don't want to be here today. I'm really on the struggle bus. I'm sure they had a struggle bus back in the, the first century. Um, they, they were emitting their joys and their heartaches and their sorrows because it was a real beautiful community. And if I'm honest about this type of community that we're trying to build, we're, we're, I believe God is doing this in us. I still think we have a long way to go. We haven't completely arrived yet. I think even in the way that we want to grow as a multicultural church, having relationships with people who look and think and act differently than us. And if you're, and if you're not experiencing this, this type of for us and with us, for one another and with one another type of community at City on a Hill, I just want to ask, why not? For some, maybe it's just not been a priority. Maybe it's just time. We're inflexible with our schedule. We're just afraid. We're just scared of letting anybody in. Maybe we're just kind of hanging on the fringes, waiting to, kind of wondering if the water is safe. I want to challenge you to press in. We often think, it, I, I'll start doing that when it starts to feel organic and natural. But notice again that they devoted themselves first and then later reaped the reward. And maybe you are experiencing this. Maybe like you are, God is doing this in you and you're like, man, I felt the warmth and the love of this church. I felt the warmth and the love of community. Ask yourself this, who around you is not? 
And then how can you help them do so? Who around you is not experiencing that warmth and the love? And how can you bring them in? Because our, we are never meant to be a closed circle. It says here that their numbers were added day by day, those who were being saved, those who were experiencing the life and the love and the joy of God's kingdom. Who can you invite into that? See, I believe that safety and time, being with and for people, is the grounds on which the gospel works. The last thing that the effect that they, that they saw of, of, of devoting themselves to these things was compelling love and joy. So they had glad and generous hearts. They praised God openly. I mean, other people saw this and they were so compelled by it. It says that they had favor with all people. Now, that doesn't mean that all people came to faith in Jesus. But they saw their way of life. They saw the way that they lived. They saw that there was something just different and weird about these people. They didn't always agree with it, but they were compelled by it. See, when the gospel is applied and expounded and it's lived out, it creates a unique people. And some were so compelled by this, it says that they were added to that number who were saved. They said, you know what? This is so beautiful and so good. I want it. I see the life and the joy that these people have, and I want that too. Tim Keller remarked that our deep, rich community makes the gospel credible. The gospel doesn't only just compel us to go share, but the way that we live and the joy we find in it compels others to listen. I want what God is doing at City on a Hill to be compelling. You know, a few weeks ago, I, was, it was, I think it was right before I went on vacation, um, I, was talking, I was listening to a couple of people, I was talking with a couple of people on the front, on the front lawn, and somebody said, you know, I kind of feel like we're, we're starting to feel like a church. I was like, well, what do you mean? They said, we feel less like individuals and we feel more like a people. And I thought that was a really beautiful picture of what God is starting to do in us. I believe God is doing something. And for that to continue and for God to work on us individually and as the church, the gospel has to be central. The work of Jesus has to be what renews us and what deepens our love and our joy and a love and a joy that other people are going to see. We are imperfect people looking to a perfect Savior who's going to make us new. So there are three important questions I want you to process today. Just want you, we're going to be up on the screen. You should be able to just, I want you to you can write these down process these as we're taking communion, think about them this week. Uh, three questions. What do I need to commit to? So what do I need to devote myself to? Do I need to devote myself to God's word? And it's maybe you're just, you're a cynic, you struggle, you're like, I just don't, I think I'm right all the time. I don't like submitting myself to the Bible. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to submit yourself to community. Signing up for a community group here in a couple of weeks may be the best thing that you can do uh, for growing in relationship with other people. Maybe you need to commit to Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you finally give your life to Jesus and say, my life is yours. I trust that you're good. I devote myself to you. He will receive you because he is gracious. Secondly, what needs to change to make that happen? What's the barrier between you and that commitment? Maybe you think it's time. Maybe you think it's schedule. Maybe you think it's some sort of sin you don't think you can confess. Whatever it might be, what is that? And then thirdly, who will, who will I ask to help me? And that's an important question because we don't do this alone. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's somebody here today, maybe it's one of our leaders, you can always come talk to me. Who will you ask to help you? There's an old gospel song by Hezekiah, Hezekiah Walker uh, called, I Need You to, to Survive. And he talks about this, this idea of the church. He said uh, that we pray for each other and you pray for me. 
and we need each other to survive. Church, we need each other to survive. So as we take communion here in a second, let's look to Jesus together and asking God to make us new. Let's pray.